to High Truths on Drugs and Addiction, where national experts bring you facts and answer your questions. I'm your host, Dr. Onit Lev, an emergency and addiction doctor who has worked at the White House and still practices on the front lines. Right here on High Truths, you will learn from experts, hear stories from the emergency department, and listen to people who have struggled from addiction. Each episode, we will answer questions from you, our listeners. To learn more about the show, submit a question, access educational material, or even take a quiz, you can visit us on hightruths.com. This is part two of our High Truth field trip to a pot shop. In part one, Terry, the store manager, showed us the different products at the March and Ash Legal Marijuana Dispensary. In this episode, we meet Brett, the owner of March and Ash, and learn a little bit more about the business. Listen to the conversation and think about the real medical profession, doctors and nurses going through years of training working in hospitals and clinics, and compare to the, quote, medical cannabis industry. For the, quote, medical cannabis industry, they talk about selling the drug because it is legal, even though they know the products cause harm and even give examples of psychosis and death. For the real medical profession, we follow ethics and risk-benefit considerations before prescribing medications. Giving a patient a drug that is harmful to them just because it's illegal or just because a patient wants it would be malpractice. Oh, wow, the smell. Yeah, this is... Spencer Andrew, Public Affairs Director, escorted us to the administrative offices of March and Ash. We have security cameras that are recording 24-7. And then this is our back inventory. We walked outside through a beautiful tropical garden. Beautiful. Very nice. It's a beautiful place. And, oh my God, the business. (laughs) Cash. It's busy for a Wednesday night. Again. So we own, this is our, our headquarters, our flagship, so we own the building here. Okay. So all of our functions... I bet you paid cash. <laughs> um, all, all of our functions, our delivery, our accounting, our HR, marketing, they, they're, for all the stores, they, they all occur here. And you told me you have four stores? We have three operating currently. Three stores? The one will be open in December. And almost and four stores and how many employees? 250. 250 employees. I was a bit hung up on the cash. March and Ash has two ATMs in the store and all transactions were cash only. I asked Spencer if he felt safe. He said the building is very secure. They have guards and the store walls are made out of concrete, a regulatory requirement. The security risk is for the delivery personnel who drive into bad neighborhoods. They have learned to make deliveries at a lighted gas station at certain parts of town. We passed the dispatch center that included electronic tracking of all products. I thought of police and ambulance dispatch, but for pot. CVS and Walgreens, take note. We need such customer service for licensed pharmacies. Wouldn't it be nice if you broke your leg or had COVID that your medications would be delivered to your door? All these pot delivery people can be working for the pharmacies instead. This is our headquarters. This is where all the administrative uh, functions occur. Nice logo. Joe and I were impressed by the headquarters. After visiting the store, this part of the tour was extra, and I wasn't sure what to expect. I wondered why the owners would want to meet a doctor who was vocal on issues of marijuana. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. We sat in the main conference room, waiting and whispering. What do you think? 
what some of the high potency products are being sold. You see one that said 90%. It said 90%. Oh my God. Can make oh my them God. Up. I mean, you know, what's the best selling? 86%. And E-Valley is not over with. They still know. Oh no, it's still going on. Right. When I hear that E-Valley is over with, we had a woman die recently here. The big boss walked into the conference room. Yes. Hey, right. Brett Peace, owner and general counsel for March and Ash. Wow, what a tour and thank you so much for for inviting for inviting me and showing the place and we're willing to be coming coming by our place and uh, Terry's great so I hope you get a flavor for um, how we operate and uh, and this was your brainchild your partners and Spencer was employee one so his brainchild too it is awkward meeting new people during a pandemic I confess I'm a germaphobe who works with COVID patients no handshakes, and I keep my N95 mask tight on my face. The greeting is weird, and I'm not sure where this conversation was going to go. You know who I, I am? I do. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so I'm an emergency physician and addiction physician at, at Scripps Mercy. I know a bit about you, but um, why don't you give me a little, and I'll give you uh, some of my background. I shared a bit of my bio and ended with a little poke, my belief that I was treating his customers in the emergency department with marijuana poisoning. I believe that I see your customers in the emergency department every day. <laughs> I hope not our customers. I hope not your customer base. But um, no, I, I appreciate you coming in, uh, and we'll get into some of the detail. Um, you know, my, you know, you've probably heard this before. My background starts with I'm the father of three, with another on the way. Um, Congratulations! Uh, thank you. I'm actually an attorney from heavily regulated industries, um, mainly nuclear power. So. Uh, my background is coming out of, in an environment, I lived in the Middle East, worked there, um, where uh, you, you deal with very severe restrictions and regulations uh, around things like substance, uh, use of illegal substances, in this case, controlled substances. So I come from sort of the ba that background and got into cannabis very carefully as my partners who sort of set out to, this is, you're sitting in the flagship location to get into cannabis, but when it was, quote, legalized, you know, it was under the rubric of responsible adult use. Um, so my lead-in in terms of why I was kind of, I think, willing to have this discussion is uh, we have a severe concern as March and Ash, and I can say that goes all the way to a shareholder level in terms of do we sell and get out of this industry because the speed with which or velocity with which it's gone from responsible use to, quote, mainstreaming cannabis frightens us, to be honest. So... Um, let me let me start there. Really, um, the pot shop owner is frightened. Um, Not just me. We we really have tried to sort of develop. I guess you can call it an ethos, but it's more than that. Again, my, I'm in a heavily regulated sort of background guy right, in terms of how we operate and our policies and procedures that that try to focus on as much as we can customer education and limiting uh, how we interface with public spaces, for example, and in youth. Um, you know the statistics better than anybody. Chances are more than one of us in this room have dealt with substance abuse uh, or somebody close to them. Yeah, so, there's about um, 20 million Americans who have a substance use disorder. So we find ourselves in a space where we're, we're proud of what we built, but uh, we're watching an industry that still doesn't, I think, really understand what it has. And there's a total lack of data, as you know, on a whole bunch of key issues. And it's, you'll hear it's the industry or it's the lobbyist or whatever they're pushing. I can tell you it's even the political class. 
And now we're seeing gasoline thrown on this because of COVID and they're seeing the tax revenue. So we really see this push towards mainstreaming cannabis. Um, and, and it's worrisome because we're, I think, at least willing to say, hold on, we haven't even defined what responsible adult use is and now we're just moving on to sort of a mainstream sort of approach to it. Well, I'm, this is not what I was expecting to hear. That's amazing. I was being introduced to the cannabis industry terminology. To me, using marijuana is using marijuana. I don't differentiate between responsible adult use and mainstreaming in emergency department patients that are sick. I recalled similar attempts in using differentiating terminology with the opioid epidemic. Patients were defined as tolerant, meaning they needed more and more opioids because their regular dose didn't work for them, versus being dependent, needing their drug at a baseline, versus addicted or abusing. The terminology was developed to defend continued prescribing, not to prevent deaths. When I looked at the medical examiner and emergency patients, you cannot differentiate why people are taking too many opioids. People who died from an opioid overdoses were dead. The common denominator was dosing, not why they were using. Now I see the same terminology talking points used with marijuana. March and Ash consider themselves the good guys in a sea of less reputable pot shops. The marijuana business is a business, and like most businesses, they try to protect themselves from lawsuits. Brett explains. There's a lawsuit that dropped in San Diego against a manufacturer and a retailer, and uh, a lot of the lawsuit has to do with how things are packaged and marketed. Well, you know this as well as anybody. Who's regulating that? Um, it's it's. And we're kind of at the, the retail end, so we're... we're but I, I don't know about... The lawsuit is... Uh, it was attractive packaging to children? No, it was an older lady who had a psychotic episode. I don't know if she committed suicide or died from an edible. She, they were blaming it on the edible. Mm -hmm. And that the package didn't contain a warning about a psychosis risk or a mental health risk. So, you know, you know how things happen. The lawyers get involved and then somebody gets sued and then the yes. warning label gets put on. That's how it's packaged and marketed, right? The, the, the thrust of the lawsuit, and not weighing its merits, the thrust of the lawsuit is that it was marketed as this will give you the extra punch that, you know, ours gives you more punch than uh, the other products at the same level. And so there isn't a conversation. Because the other thing you probably know is this industry is not consolidated. It's completely balkanized and fractured. Um, there's people who have views aligned kind of with March and Ash. There's people who have views that are way over here. And they go to policymakers or they go to communities as if there's an industry position. And it's just not true. And you're all put in the same lump, whether you're... Good or bad, right? Um, I've had to, I've been in front of policymakers where they say, oh, well, the industry's here, we're here with March and Ash. And I've had to like physically, so that the policymakers can see, like jump away and say, wait, there might be a minority view on this. And I'm not here to say we're right next. We sell cannabis products. But the example in the lawsuit, as I look at it as a retailer, and you look at the packaging, the question is, put aside right or wrong, there's no regulations. There's no consensus on, on what it should be. Next, another surprise. A store that is selling 90, even 100% Blackberry Kush cannabis products is concerned about the high potency. The other area where I, I have a current severe concern is concentration levels. And there are, um, I don't know how to, I would describe them as consummate cannabis consumers. 
right? And the demographics would surprise you. I mean, a lot of these are, are, are uh, seasoned professionals. Mm. The customer who comes in knows what they're dealing with, right? I'm not going to make a value judgment on that. I'm a retailer, but those are those are levels that didn't previously exist. Um, the, the the issue is leakage, right? We all know that there's going to be leakage out into the public, uh, and it's the customer that comes in, and no matter how much you try to educate them, what if the customer goes home and goes to a party, and then somebody picks up a vape pen that's 90%? They might not even know, or they don't know what that means. Um, that That's the scary, that's sort of a leg one do I have a concern about concentration levels, and nobody seems to be talking about it in Sacramento, as far as I can tell. And with all due respect, it becomes, we're the bad guy. Right? Somebody's making it legally. And customers are going to get it somewhere. What if I gave out oxycodone because patients were going to get it somewhere else? The next story Brett shared demonstrates that marijuana industry is intimately familiar with the harms that include death. When we opened this location, so it would be years ago now, I had a call from a girlfriend of a guy who used cannabis products, and she wasn't sure. Was it, she shopped at our shops, shopped at other shops. She wasn't sure. And you remember this, and I, it was like, I called her, and he clearly didn't know what he was using, and he walked out on a freeway. Yeah. He and did what? Walked out on a freeway, was killed. And I called her, and it was a very difficult discussion, but what infuriated me at the end was she said, you're the only person who called back. People say nobody dies from it, but they do. He walked out on a freeway, and she says it was because he in her words, he got too high, he didn't understand it. And, but she said nobody else called her back. Well, kudos for you, that's not an easy call to make. That's one that makes your heart drop and you don't know what to say. Well, everybody should have, but the problem is there's really no answer. Friends, do you believe there is no answer why this person walked into the freeway? Was this really an unavoidable accident? How do Brett and Spencer reconcile a life lost to marijuana? At the same time, they sell the high-potency products. We know there's abuse and misuse, and we know that leads to negative things. One of the issues with how we regulate and deal with that and do it responsibly is, and I think you see those more in your face with alcohol than you do with cannabis. Mm -hmm. And that's a hard discussion to have for the public to wrap their head around, right? They understand all the drunk driving, all this, and I understand there's issues with cannabis too, but when you look at... I'm not discounting other issues. When you look at what I'm talking about, concentration levels, impacts on youth, those impacts are so much harder to identify and see right in your face. That's, that's, that's kind of what we're struggling with, and I think the industry and the policy is going mainstream before the public has really digested what that means. Right? We, don't, we haven't had the longevity right, of this to even probably have the best data available or have it be ubiquitous enough, let's say, mm -hmm. for the public to understand. And I'm not here again to say anything other than we, we want to know those answers so we can do this responsibly, but I'm not sure you can put that genie back in the bottle. If this they have an ethical dilemma. They sell what is legal, even though they know it's bad. The opioid pill mill doctors use that same rationale. We sell what is legal and we try to do it responsibly, right? Uh, even here, a good portion of people are coming in often for pain or for medicinal. Majority, over the majority, are still coming recreationally. And it, it just, it varies wildly. Right? What about it's, parenting? 
Brett has three children and one on the way. Uh, what, what are you going to teach your kids about? That was the second Daddy's one. business. And my oldest is nine, so she now knows what it is, right, in a grand scheme. And um, that's the one that's even, to me, trickier because, not because we can't do it, it's if you're going to have uh, responsible adult use, you've gone from a, a parent being able to tell your kid it's illegal, you can't do it to we haven't developed, and I'm not trying to step into your space, but these are some of the conversations we've had privately. We haven't developed or invested in the prevention messaging. It's a totally different psychology, and I know you've written some about that, but I'm trying with my nine-year-old daughter, who's very precocious, to have a discussion about, well, it's not a hospital, it's not a medicine, right? It has medicinal. We haven't adapted, I think, how you talk about, for me, for my own kids, yeah, it's legal, but don't use it. And uh, Wait, have you said that to your daughter? We do have a prevention message, but we obviously need more work to get it out there. The message is protect your brain while it's growing until age 25 or even 27. Using any addictive drug during the developmental age increases the chance of addiction four to seven fold. That's for tobacco, alcohol, marijuana, and other drugs. Stay alive until 25. Trying drugs before that age greatly increases the chance of a lifelong struggle with addiction. And with marijuana, unlike the other drugs, there's the added risk of developing psychosis and schizophrenia that could be permanent. I know Brett knows about the risks of psychosis, and he shared a living example. Another hard conversation I had was, and this is another example I use of alcohol and it blows people's minds, it was... Um, and this one, I'm going to generalize more. Um, uh, the other one, I'd be happy to even pass on the name. This one is uh, their child was getting their hands on the product, and they knew I was in the industry, so they wanted to talk to me about how can this happen. And he was like, well, just like liquor, it can happen because people can right. be irresponsible. Um, but the comment she made was, I wish he was drinking. And I said, why? She goes, because I think he's been doing this for years, but we can't tell. If he was drinking, she says, I think we would have figured it out. So that also, that, that's a conversation that's always stuck in my mind in terms of the issues with youth and cannabis is it's so much easier to hide. Most addiction starts in middle school. There is a strong genetic predisposition to addiction. If people were serious about preventing addiction, they would protect the brain until age 25 for all types of addictive drugs, legal or illegal. I see the struggles that Brett has. He's in a business for profit, yet he sees the harms. However, he deflects the blame. Bad laws are costing lives, not the industry. Bad shops and the black market are to blame. It's the American way, someone else's fault, not me. They say they want to fix the problem, but they don't see how they are part of the problem. Because I firmly believe that responsible adult use is acceptable. I firmly believe that there are uh, a myriad of benefits to cannabis use, pain management on down relative to alternatives, whether it be prescription drugs, and even when you get into recreational, right, and you weigh the different options. Again, then you have to deal with how you handle misuse and educating the public. That right there is a letter that we sent to the California legislature a while ago, where we keep hitting on the fact that we have a loophole, in our view, in the law. Because if you're medical only, if a jurisdiction sets up and says you can sell medically, 
medically only or medical and recreational, it can be accessed legally by somebody who's 18 to 21. We have the data, and so this location we sell only recreationally, so it's 21 and up. We opened medically in a city out in the Imperial Valley, but there's very few um, licensed outlets, and so we could apply our company policy, which was even though we can sell 18 to 21, we chose only to sell 21 and up. We then subsequently opened in another jurisdiction where we're surrounded by other shops. You would see these teenagers come in, be told they can't buy at March and Ash, walk out the door and go down the street, and it put us in an impossible situation where we're the bad guy. Yeah, the advertising, when we came in and said, if you limit your advertising as a legal business, there's nothing to prevent an illegal operator from buying the same billboard and advertising an illegal product that hasn't been tested or gone through any kind of protocol. And that one was even more frustrating because it wasn't the industry. And this is this is this is about information getting out to the public. That's why I'm willing to do this podcast. It's also about, you know, at some point there is adult use and at some point people need to get around the table and start developing data and making better decisions. But we went to the city of San Diego and supported an outright ban on billboard advertising and to adopt a Denver-style model, which has much more restrictions on advertising on public spaces. When that got in front of the city council, two people spoke. I spoke on behalf of the industry supporting the billboard ban. The only other person who spoke came all the way down from Sacramento and was the lobbyist for Clear Channel, the billboard companies and very politely told the city of San Diego that if you do this, we're going to sue you on First Amendment commercial speech grounds. So I've been with cities that are considering cannabis. If they come and ask our advice, I tell them two things. The one thing you have, and we need to come back to this, one thing you have under this current law is it deferred a great deal of discretion to the local city, county, whoever decides to do it. Use that discretion. Don't listen to us. Do it exactly how you want to do it, but think it through. And the other thing is don't do it by ballot initiative. We don't support the industry-led ballot initiatives. We, in fact, um, campaigned against them and successfully pulled them off. Wait, uh, you, you were against which ballot initiative? What will happen is if certain industry participants don't get their way with the city, they'll go to the ballot to open it up for legalization. We don't support those. All right? If the city or county says no, no, that's fine. Our advice to municipalities is you need to do it your way, but there's these little tricks, right? One of them we've told them is you need to write in on the front end into your laws, your ordinances, that if you get a permit, you've agreed not to do these advertising things because that takes the First Amendment issue off the table, right? Um, but these things, again, the mainstreaming is going so fast, and I think now these cities are looking at needing the tax revenue. I think you're going to see a rash of new stuff moved very quickly, and on some of these key issues that we care about, they're going to skip right over them. Yep, and that's the frustration that we have. Because number one, we have a ban on the county of lobbying ourselves. So we see this, because we don't do the scared straight kind of prevention. You know, that's why a couple, and I hear your stories and, and from the ER, and then I come in and hear somebody who has three kids, four kids in the community living here. And it has to be a way to bring us together. Because you're right, people are starving for money, with this COVID and San Diego's getting hit massively hard in the tourist industry, they're going to go to the marijuana industry to seek this extra revenue. We're going to have all these bad actors. We're going to see increased drug driving incidents. We're going to see all the increase in emergency room visits that we've been seeing. So we have to come to the table together and deal with responsible businesses like you. So that's why I introduced you both. We have some common ground, but there's also the blame game. And it's not just the sketchy shops. It's also the sketchy doctors. 
That sounds familiar. Big pharma and bad doctors with the opioid epidemic. I mean, this is an issue with the medical profession, but there's doctors who are running these things. And you go to a kiosk and you get your recommendation. I agree. There are quack doctors. We saw it with opioids. But Brett and much of America is fed quack marijuana science that dominates our society. Listen to the defense of marijuana use in kids. We also know that it, it is medicinal, even in teenagers, for things like kids, for things like epilepsy, right? We've seen that firsthand. Wait, what do you call medicine in kids? I'm sorry. We've I... seen cannabis used medicinally in a positive way for things like epilepsy and things that no. we have cancer no, patients, no, no. things like that. So what our letter says is... But wait a second, I, I just have to contradict you there. Okay. There's, there's no evidence, and the American um, Epilepsy Society says marijuana should not be used for seizures. There is CBD, pure CBD, that's FDA controlled, that can be bought at Epidiolex, and I could write a prescription for only two types of seizures in babies. That's helpful. But the marijuana, the, most of the stuff that's being sold in your shop is getting people in the emergency room for having seizures. And it's very different. That's, I mean... Look, and that's where we're going to have to disagree. We, we have our own studies, and we have direct people we work with who have children, you know, when I'm talking about you know, with kids and stuff, who they're using it, and it's the only thing pain-wise that then they eat and things like that. So That's the only thing that's what? That they use for pain management. As yeah. children? Teenagers. 15, 16, 17, and the doctors, right? They're not. That's just very sad. We're going to have to disagree. I really couldn't hide my appall. The cannabis industry is playing doctor. They have their own studies and twist messages that mislead people to use marijuana for seizures and teenagers using it for pain. These poor kids in this example cannot see that they're developing an addiction and harming their brain. And the worst part, is that it's being condoned and supported by adults who are leading them down a dreadful path. I'm starting to realize that the call for data by the marijuana industry is only for data that supports their business model. We have plenty of data and even a Surgeon General warning against using marijuana for teenagers. I asked Brett the same question I asked Terry. Would you want me to be your doctor if I was high? One of the questions I asked Terry is would he want me to be his doctor if I used one of your products right before <laughs> taking care of him? No. That was a very fast no. As a marijuana business owner, Brett talks about the false claims that marijuana cures everything. There's a certain element, particularly, let's call it the 21 to 30-year-old crowd, who it's kind of like a counter thing, and it's no different than, you know, you have certain people who have that view, laissez-faire view of alcohol, even when they're pregnant. Right? It's the one or a few glasses aren't the same. I, I, I know because I'm the guy who has to be really uncomfortable because everybody thinks I'm the drug dealer. So I'm the guy at the party and it's like, oh, and I have to jump out of my skin saying, no, 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 you shouldn't be doing that. And I don't think that's being a good person or a bad person. That's just having a functioning brain. But you see that. And so there's a definite, I think, element in cannabis that needs to be managed of I don't know what the right term is, but it's this cure-all for everything, and it's harmless, and that's where I think our common ground is. We don't believe that. It's our job to protect youth, and uh, the tension you get to when you start getting into the 20s, though, is, and don't take this the wrong way, I'm a bit libertarian, right? At some point, right, adults are going to make decisions. 
I don't think we need advertising as a retailer. This is a pure business point. I don't need to advertise in public spaces if it's even-handed. So right? like tobacco? Like, yeah. like no advertising? Like exactly. Tobacco? Right? If it's evenly applied, and we're on the record do, advocating for that. If, if, if nobody can do it, nobody's harmed. That's not how you, you don't need that to reach the responsible adult use audience. Right? Unless the guy next door to you has 50 billboards, which is what our situation. All of those tie-dye billboards are it's the guy up the street. So, um, evenly applied, let's get this out of the public arena, right? So youth aren't driving around seeing this, right? Um, let's get the advertising restrictions in place. The third, though, is, is just the whole framework is missing because of this federal law versus state law on the core things, which is, let's look at the products themselves. Right now, it's just, they're legal, right? There's no... As far as I know, I don't know what the agency would be to even come in and say, no, this is the appropriate THC level in this product and this product. Here's the limits. And I, I feel like because of that void, and I'm not complaining, right? I, mean, I feel like I should take notes. <laughs> I feel like because of that void, it's like people are looking to us, right? And I get it. I just prevention people to say, why, why are you doing that, right? You shouldn't be doing that. Well, it's illegal. It's, it's illegal and responsible adults by law can get it and then go down the street and get it and nobody's dealing with it. But why are you asking me? I'm not the, it's not my job. So this meeting was a pitch for the anti-pot doctor to support the good guys in the cannabis industry. Let me summarize the pitch they were hoping I would support along with my comments. Number one, they wanted to close the loophole that marijuana is legal recreationally at age 21 and legal medicinally at age 18. They want to have all marijuana legal at 21 and illegal under that age. I agree that that's a loophole, but the science is that the brain stops growing until age 25, even 27, not 21. 21 is a legal definition. 25, 27 is a scientific definition. Closing the loophole simply prevents their business from going across the street to the black market. I'm interested in protecting the growing brain, not fixing a business loophole. But going from 18 to 21 does give three more years of protection. Number two in their wish list is advertising restriction that is universally applied. They want to restrict billboard advertisement. They claim billboards draw people to the black market and bad shops, and they are able to reach their customers without it. I would agree. Number three in their wish list, potency limits. Now everything is legal. Although they sell and carry 90 to 100% cannabis product, they know it's harmful. They have to do it. Otherwise, they lose business to the competition. So they're asking for cutoffs. That's a moral dilemma. How can you sell something you know is bad? Potency limits help defend the marijuana business from lawsuits of people walking into traffic it's like approving light cigarettes instead of unfiltered cigarettes to prevent lung cancer. Did unfiltered cigarettes cause less lung cancer? We have the data on that. And the answer is no, because people simply just smoked more. Public space. They want to eliminate advertisement in public space, such as concert and sporting events. And they want to keep legal control of selling marijuana within the local area versus controlled at the state level. And I guess I would agree with limiting advertisement. The pitch overall was self-serving rather than public health or science. Following these talking points, I was trying to understand if they wanted cannabis to be regulated like alcohol. Um, so yes, I think alcohol is a, um, 
is a model to start with, but I think alcohol got mainstream. And this is the sort of uh, genie getting out of the bottle that I it's, mentioned. Is I think I think that's when you say, "Do I want it to be like alcohol?" The only reason I'm cautioning you is I can tell you that's where a big chunk of the industry wants to go. Huh. That that to them is mainstreaming, right? You get your liquor store in every corner. And wait, so how is how is your request different than that? I don't think we should have advertising like we have for alcohol in public okay. spaces. I think access okay. should be much more restrictive and controlled, right? You see our store, we can make that kind of investment, we can reach our customer base um, without having to do that kind of advertising. To children. The only reason you do that advertising is you're trying to convince people to use your product. I guess maybe that's the line that I don't think we need to cross. Yeah. We don't need to advocate for people to use cannabis. Again, the demographic would surprise you too. Um, it's, well, we, my partners also have kids. Um, just as back, we went to high school together. Uh, one was in real estate, one's in the industry, I was the lawyer, they needed help, here we are. Never thought I was going to be doing cannabis. But when we sat down even to brand the company, I remember we got laughed at actually, because who are these guys? March and Ash, what does that mean? Because as you know, everything's green this or green mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. The reason it was March and Ash was we told our team, we don't want it to be directly associated with cannabis. I, I coach soccer, I coach Little League. It's like, I don't, right? You kind of want to have that with the youth, that, that, that disconnection. Now you see other people doing it. So, um, so I, again, I just give you that background because there's a lot of data we look at, and we look at it in the context, again, of people need to have access to responsible adult use. And they don't need, but you want them to. I want them to, okay. right? Well, they also need it because if not, they'll go to the black market yeah. shop down the street. It, at a, you know. I mean, that's, I mean, I, I don't know. That's okay. But I understand. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we believe there's benefits. Yes. And we want to be in this if we didn't. But we I mean, have... I think COVID taught us that we really don't need much, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that we learned that we, we just need some food and shelter, and, right? We... <laughs> and some of the people, the demographic you, you see, it is responsible adult use. I have, you know, parents right from what they come in, right? And they'll use it. Some of the people use it to go to sleep, for example, things like that. But where our conversation is sort of geared, I think, for the most of this discussion, I think what I'm seeing is people are stop. they're not talking about continuing to try to define responsible adult use. They're just moving into it's here. And um, I think that's where this is headed. And we'll, uh, we'll put up a, the best fight we can to try to continue to say, no, we got into this and we need to continue to, to, to focus on those, those three words, responsible adult use, and what does that mean and what do we need to ensure that that, that is what we get. Um, but if it moves in this mainstream direction, I can't speak for my partners, I shouldn't, but I, I can tell you that there's, there's important elements of our company, shareholders, for example, uh, they will exit. Uh, they will exit fast. Ah, that it really explains things. They say follow the money, the poor shareholders. I asked Brett if he was willing to hang a poster in his store from the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology on the harms of marijuana. So we're open to any of those. And and believe it or not, it's, it's, it, at first we were a little bit, for example, we put up some PSA billboards. And you guys will be pleased to know we're down to, we, per our commitment to try, we're down to I think five and we're going to be to zero. We're going to try to go to zero billboards in I think February of next year. What we did in the interim is we opened new shops. We have no choice because the billboards are everywhere, mm -hmm. right? These out of town and illegal deliveries, we'll put them up for a period of time. And so we made a commitment. We put like two up and then a PSA billboard 
um, on a number of issues that people have brought to us. Um, believe it or not, it's pretty effective marketing for the customer base we're trying to reach, which is the responsible value. So to answer your question, we would be happy to do that. And we'd be happy to study whether it has any impacts. Because what we're trying to do now is on weekly, hand something out to every consumer, whether it's on a Friday or a Friday and Saturday, that directs them then to a website. It doesn't have to be ours, but says, hey, you need to read up more on this risk or on this issue. And then they can go online, and whether it be dragging under the influence, whether it be pregnancy, whether it be, hey, do you really understand how to use these products and what concentration levels mean beyond you know the education you can get in your 10 minutes in the shop? We are open to those things, and believe it or not, we actually view them both as a, being a responsible retailer, but just pure marketing. So that's a strange twist of things. Having the marijuana dispensary carry a prevention message actually is a strategic marketing tool to gain customers. So how is the business during COVID? Remembering that the governor of California declared marijuana an essential business like supermarkets and pharmacies, at the same time closing parks and beaches. How did your business change during COVID? You've increased? Um, we have, we dropped and then we levelized and then we steadily increased. And my... Are you above your pre-pandemic volume? Yes. We, um, it's hard, it's hard to say that because we open our locations and they have a ramp up period. So most of them are still and they were ramping up anyway, but we're definitely doing a greater volume. This is just our internally. We had set up our own systems for delivery in the first place. So some of that's specific to sort of our, our company, March and Ash was, we were already, um, some of the other people in the industry were more focused on storefront. We had always put a focus on the storefront and delivery. So when COVID hit, we were kind of prepared to handle people moving to curbside pickup and delivery. So I think that was part of it. There's also another part where, again, our customers come in. I hear it all the time saying, I was home, I, we were just drinking too much. And I, it wasn't like I'm worried about being an alcoholic. It's like I, just, I gained 20 pounds because I was having three or four, six beers every day because I'm home. Um, I want to try something else. So yes, COVID, I think, has moved a segment of the population that wasn't doing cannabis for to cannabis. That's just one example. Um, I think some of it is people are dealing with anxieties, they're dealing with pressures, um, they're looking for a release. Uh, I'll use that word. Um, but I, yeah, we have definitely seen uh, some changes. Business is good, but it can always be better, and it's under threat. So listen to this next boardroom bribe. Am I imagining things? Is this a bribe? You judge. <laughs> um, there's a move to try in the cannabis industry in San Diego, it's the city of San Diego, to set up like an assessment district for the cannabis companies where every sale is a certain amount of money that goes into this district to market the industry, like to tourists and stuff. And um, I've always wondered why with all the taxes and stuff we, we pay, to, I don't think any of it's earmarked for prevention. And so you know, one thing that I've <coughs> contemplated is why is the industry talking about, again, you know, my view on the marketing, talking about needing to have an industry marketing budget, right, like the convention center has, I guess, or the hotels. 
if we're going to self-assess, if the city's not going to peel off some of the tax revenue and give it to the prevention community, um, why isn't our first discussion about a self-assessment being directing funds on the prevention side of this? I'm not saying that because I'm a good person. I'm saying that because it would make me feel a lot better about the things I can't control, what happens, right? It's on the lobbying side, too, and this is, again, maybe, maybe you know, it's too... But I've, I've gone to meetings and set up meetings for people in the prevention community um, just because they know they're going to get a different meeting with the policymaker because they don't have the political budget and they don't have the lobbying that the industry has. And it, it kills me to say that, but and they know it and they'll be like, hey, can you come or set up the meeting? And then they get a different kind of meeting because that's just the reality of life, right? You have, and, and that's what I, th again, coming to this, what's gonna happen in the next year. You made the comment, it's a huge industry with well-heeled lobbyists and they're not happy Right, that responsible adult use looks this way. It doesn't matter, call it City X. They're getting frustrated at City X, Y, and Z and finding it not the way they want it. And they're gonna go try to wrestle their control away from those cities and get what they want in Sacramento. So if prevention folks partner with the good guys in the pot industry and help close the loopholes, they can get assessment fees to promote prevention work. Sounds tempting. It also sounds familiar. Doctors who were promoting opioids were the same doctors teaching on how to give opioids responsibly. Conferences and education on safe prescribing were sponsored by Big Pharma, teaching their message. I called it how to create an addict education. We're not done unteaching all that bad education now that fueled the opioid epidemic while we are repeating the same mistakes with marijuana. I'll think about that bribe. There are followers and there are leaders. And as a medical leader, I work to change laws and regulations to promote public health. As a business leader, I imagine Brett works to promote profits and protect his business. Is the following a cop-out or simply being in a tough spot? Listen. If the law is the law and the regulation is the regulation, you kind of deal with the, you know, the hand you've been dealt. And um, we find ourselves, not often, but we'll find ourselves getting called by the industry saying, why would you do that? You're going to harm the industry. And, you know, a minute later, you get a call from the prevention community. Why did you do that? The law is the law. That is why there is a strong national push to legalize marijuana. Follow the money. And yet, we do have diplomacy and a plea on common ground. Our country is very much divided. And I came into the store thinking that we're very divided on this issue and surprised that you would invite me. And uh, we're able to find common ground, so I really appreciate that. Right back at you. I appreciate and, you coming in. And, <laughs> and it, it gives me hope, faith in, in, in America. <laughs> and, I, and again, I didn't mean to be sharp on I know the things we're going to disagree, but uh, I do feel like there's there's enough common ground that would take us a decade to cover and get right before we can then get down and uh, get our swords out on the stuff we disagree right. on. I do, I agree. And, I appreciate and that's that. Just, that. That's the sad part about it. This is low-hanging fruit. The 18 to 21-year-olds, uh, why is that even difficult? It's your point. You can't buy tobacco. You can't buy alcohol. Why, why haven't they closed this loophole? And that, that should be easy peasy. But you know, the, all this low-hanging fruit we need to take down first before we turn around and say, you know, it's too late. Again, the reason there's common ground is I do believe that a large segment of the industry wants responsible adult use, doesn't want to move to the mainstream. And the problem is just the amount of money uh, involved in trying to push to the mainstream may just swamp us uh, unless this common ground is found and the policymakers say, whoa, 
Right. We've got to deal with the medical community, we've got to deal with the prevention community, we've got to deal with the uh, communities, law enforcement, and where we think we can be helpful, uh, and we often do this too, it's like, hey, the whole industry is not against this. There may be, even if it's a minority view, a segment of the industry that's willing to talk honestly about this. Our tour and discussion lasted two hours. People don't volunteer or spend that kind of time together without finding it useful. I enjoyed our conversation and I'm thankful for the hospitality and openness at March and Ash. Terry, Spencer, and Brett are very nice people. I wish they were using their talents in a different industry, but I do wish them and their family the best of health. I hope and pray their kids don't get into drugs or try marijuana until their brain is done growing. I also wish all their customers the best of health. May everyone never need to see me in the emergency department. There were a lot of surprises today. What the store looked like, what an incredible booming business they had during a pandemic, and that people who sell pot for a living are interested in drug prevention. The irony is that drug prevention is good for drug business. I felt enlightened after the tour and came home to share the adventure with my husband. His first question was, so how much did things cost? Darn, I failed to ask the obvious. But wait, I can look at the online store. Are you 21 or older? Yes, enter the site. Flour, cartridges, edibles, CBD, sale, pre-rolls, concentrates, tinctures. Uh, let's look at flowers, 252 results. Uh, sort by most expensive, $167 for pink Picasso, 20% THC. Sort by least expensive, $11, Venom OG, Weed, 17.9 THC. Oh, and let me scroll. Here is an interesting product. Biscotti Sauce, 73.58 Connected Cannabis Company proudly presents its Biscotti Cultivar, a hybrid flower that sports a wonderful combination of euphoria and sedation. This stud goes strong in the mind and body. Hailing from the world-renowned Girl Scout Cookies Cultivar, this flower pleases every sense from its gorgeous, dense nugs to its fruit-infused clouds of spiced earth. Biscotti is a cannabis connoisseur's choice. Wow. I met Big Marijuana face-to-face. -face. It looks like the Bright Apple Store, Nordstrom's, not a hole-in-the-wall liquor store. It sells boxed cannabis products with various legitimate appearing labels and gorgeous smart packaging on the shelf. The whole store, packaging, and content is very attractive to kids and adults. Way more alluring than Joe Camel was in getting kids to smoke. And yet, the marijuana businessmen have children that they're worried about. They're torn between follow the money and follow the health. How much is a life worth? Thank you for listening to High Truths on Drugs and Addiction, where national experts give you facts and answer your questions. This week's episode would not be possible without the generous support from our sponsors. A sincere and warm thank you to CCR, Center for Community Research in San Diego, enhancing public health and safety through informed action. And the National Marijuana Initiative, raising awareness of the issues surrounding marijuana so citizens and policymakers can make well-informed decisions. NMI supports the high-intensity drug trafficking areas, HIDAs, as they work to carry out the National Drug Control Strategy. We want to hear from you. Post a comment or email us about one thing you learned from this program. 
We thank you for listening and hope you will help our rating by giving us a five-star review. And subscribe so you won't miss any of our information-packed weekly shows. Visit our website, hightruths.com, to submit a question, take a quiz, or download a free prescription for naloxone. Until next week, this is High Truths on Drugs and Addiction. Our producer is Dave Rivas from Davey Boy Productions, and I am your host, Dr. Oni Lev. We hope we brought your day a little bit more High Truths.